Anyone else sweating? Or is that just me? You know. <clears throat> okay, I think we're good. So, uh, man, what a day it's been. Uh, just kind of a cool thing that happened today is that uh, this is the first time in a lives history that we actually baptized children or baptized people on all three campuses today. So that's kind of neat. You know, all of our campuses had baptism today. So. That's really an awesome thing. I just want to remind you all of core night. If you're not familiar with that terminology, it's kind of like our church meeting where we kind of pull out all the stops and we have the staff come up here and they share about the wins and losses of the previous year. We talk about where our budget is going so you can know what direction the church is headed. And it's really kind of a good family night, if you will. And so that's next Sunday night. I hope you'll come and be part of that. Um, we'd love for you to love love you to be to be here. So, Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your love, and thank you for this opportunity now, Lord, to um, to turn our attention towards you. And we want to be more like you. That's our bold bold prayer. Just make us more like you. And so, um, whatever way that might be, my prayer is when we finish today that we'll be so crystal clear about the part of our lives you're touching to make us more like Jesus. And uh, we'll give you give you great praise. Hide me deep in your cross so we can hear only from you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, happy Mother's Day to all of you. I hope you're able to celebrate that at some level uh, today. I, I would say, and I've been saying all morning, that the problems actually facing mothers today, I would argue, I would say they're more difficult, but I'm trying to say it better or nothing, so that doesn't start a fight. But I would certainly say they're different than ones from 50, 25, and even 10 years ago. I think the mothers are facing a different, a different society. And, and I would say one of the biggest problems we're facing in society is this. Today, everybody's an expert. Everybody is an expert. All you need is a Facebook account and you can be an expert or Instagram. Even those with little to no expertise are seen as experts, whether it's on motherhood or finances or fitness or how about the pandemic? Did y'all notice that? The debate over vaccine or no vaccine and everybody's an expert, masks or no mask. And I think I found a place that we can actually build a bridge here. Um, and, and that is this. I think we can all agree that when we see the individual driving by him or herself in the car, wearing a mask. I think that kind of person we can sort of pray for as a group and even say in the South, we would say, oh, bless your heart, right? I mean, what we're really saying is that's stupid, but we're, we're saying just in case you catch COVID from Hondas, that's good you're actually wearing a mask in your car. Here's what I'm saying. The, perhaps the first time as a society, our issue isn't information. Our issue isn't trying to garner, gather more information. For the first time, it's who in the world should we listen to? That's now the issue. Who should we listen to? Because we've become a society now of followers and likes. And those are the, those, that's what gets us credibility. We don't have too many leaders or experts. So we follow people who are, or we listen to people who have a lot of followers, which doesn't mean they're experts. It just means they're popular. And we've lost the idea of who we should listen to. So to get at this, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to look at a few stories from, from the scriptures of when God actually got mad. There's stories that we try to avoid quite often as we, as we speak, but we're going to go right after them for a moment because... There were some times when God had some pretty intense feelings and they're probably not gonna fit in your little construct of who God is. And here's why we're doing that. My idea is in these stories, we'll see what matters most to God. And if it matters to God, well, maybe we should listen to him on those topics. 
If God is that upset over something, maybe we should listen to what he's, what he's got going on. And so when we dedicate children at Alive, like we just experienced together, we referenced one of these stories when God got a little indignant or a little upset. Jesus is teaching, and everybody wants Jesus' time. And even the little children, don't miss this, the little children were running toward Jesus, not away from Jesus, right? They're running toward Jesus. Hey, tell me a story. Do a magic trick or whatever Jesus did with the children kind of thing. They're running toward him. And it's just an amazing time. And they want to sit in his lap and talk to him. And the disciples tried to shoo the children away. Do you remember? And Jesus said, there's no shooing in the kingdom of God. He got irritated with the disciples. And this is what he said, let the children alone. Don't prevent them from coming to me. God's kingdom is made up of people just like these. Children matter to God, and the kingdom of God is made up of people like children. And any person, any structure, any authority, any religion that keeps the vulnerable, the confused, the dependent from being part of God's kingdom, that makes God mad. There's another story that took place when Jesus and his disciples were preparing for the Passover. This is days before he's actually going to be crucified. And it's almost like Jesus is giving all the evidence they need to crucify him in a couple of days before. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling the doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And he said to them, Scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you folks have turned it into a den of thieves. What was going on is religious religious systems were gouging people who came to worship. Just to clarify, this isn't a church that had their names on T-shirts they were selling in the lobby. That's not what this is, so don't, don't send me a note. The reason Jesus got so mad, the reason Jesus got so angry was people were charging exorbitant prices to purchase sacrifices that would later be used to worship God. People were literally paying to pray, and it ticked God off. What I want to call your attention to in this whole story, although there's certainly plenty to speak about in that part of the story, but my point that I want to make is actually where the story took place. If you're familiar, the kind of structure of where this story unfolds is this. This is the rough outline, very complex outline, of of what the tabernacle looked like and the temple looked like. And it starts here where we had the Holy of Holies. This is where it was God abided. This is where God was. We had the the Ten Commandments were there and, and Aaron's staff were there and the Ark of the Covenant. All this was in this Holy of Holies. And only one dude, the high priest, went in there once a year. And even the high priest, when they went in there once a year on the Day of Atonement, they had bells on their vest and a rope on their ankle. No kidding. In case they dropped over dead because they weren't holy enough, they could drag their sorry, they could get out of there. That's kind of what that, that's kind of what that is. No kidding. That's in the Bible. You should read your Bible. So, oh, I heard a jingle. Did you? Yeah, I think he's gone. You know, they started pulling him out. And that's kind of what would happen and for the high priest. And then once we get kind of beyond that moment in the Holy of Holies, there's another part of the temple. And you could enter this part of the temple, whether you were, if you were Jewish male, you could be in this part of the temple. 
and then even beyond that, Jewish male or female could be in this, what's sometimes called the courtyard of women right here. Y'all remember the story where um, people were putting money in and Jesus was watching? There's some people putting in a whole lot of money, and then there's this one lady who just put in like two pennies. That story took place here in this courtyard, the courtyard uh, of women. And then there's this other part of the temple. And this part of the temple out here is where Jews and Gentiles alike were welcomed. Anybody could be there. Gentiles, just the word ethnos. It means anybody who's not Jewish. And so everybody was allowed out there. Here's my point and why I take you down the temple architecture and temple layout. Jesus was a Jewish man. And the story we read where he threw the tables over took place in the courtyard. Jesus, the Jewish man, was hanging out where the people were not allowed to go in. Do you understand? Jesus was there in the courtyard. He was on the outside. Now, that may not seem a big deal, but there was this social hierarchy during Jesus's day. And the closer you were to God, the more important you were. The high priest was the most important priest, and then the priests were most important, and then the Jewish men, and then the Jewish women, and then the Gentiles on the external. It's actually in the midst of those at the bottom end of this hierarchy. The people that mattered the least according to the religious system, it's in the midst of those people that Jesus loses it. Why did God get mad? What, Matt? In fact, Luke says that Jesus actually built a whip before he did this, like Indiana Jones moment. Why did he get so mad? Why does God go on a rampage for all to see? I'll tell you. The religious people on the inside were keeping non-religious people on the outside. And God said, we're not having it. People who knew God and all he offered knew God's holiness and his redemption and his grace and his mercy, knew God's power. Those very people were keeping it all for themselves to make sure that no one else could get to him. And they were keeping non-religious people away. What Jesus saw was people who needed God greatly were being kept from experiencing the presence of God because of a religious rule. You want a picture of this? Have you seen those videos of parents returning from military service and surprising their children? I sat in my office this week and cried like a baby. Don't watch this for more than 10 minutes. Your day will be shot, I promise. I got a little sidetracked because I started watching these things. I got caught up all in the stories and I started to tear up because it's, look at this, this is my favorite one. It's such a tender moment, you know. Oh, dad's back, mom's back. Feel good moment. Now stay with me. Imagine trying to keep her mom or dad from seeing their children. Imagine mom and dad come back from the military, come back from their years of service, and there's a group of people who for some odd reason say, hey, you know what? You can't see them just yet. You can't go to them just yet. Imagine that. Because in many ways, that's exactly what's happening in our story today children wanting to see their heavenly father. But some religious system had said, no, you cannot see. And that ticked God off. 
You see, since the Garden of Eden, God has had one agenda and only one agenda. You should be aware of this. This is what God is up to. God has been doing everything in his power while not violating your power to choose to get close to you. That's what God has been up to this entire time. And oftentimes, one of the only things that stand in the way from the kind of reunion we've just watched are religious people who have lost their way. When I say religious people, I'm referring to people who have fallen into the trap of valuing some set of rules over a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When people who believe in a certain way and worship in a certain way only welcome people who believe and worship as they do, that makes God mad. I'm talking about when the church fails to love the unchurched, when the church demands that everyone who's not reached be like them, look and smell and vote like they do, when Christian people no longer care about non-Christian people, of course we'd never confess it, but it shows up in our praxis because we find ourselves saying, I hope that group of people doesn't come. I hope they don't infiltrate the church. In Jesus' day, the religious people who held all the power had come up with 613 laws to keep people on the outside out. Nobody could ever keep 613 laws. And the laws were insane. I'll give you one example. If you're walking on the Sabbath and you get mud on your robe, there was a law that said, You can shake your robe, but you can't scrape your robe because scraping would be too much like work. Jesus broke religious rule after religious rule after religious rule in order to build relationships. It was never done recklessly. In fact, sometime we see Jesus break one of these religious rules is actually done with great intentionality But Jesus was always trying to reach someone who was outside. Do you remember the stories of Jesus healing people on the Sabbath? Those stories always bothered me, and I'll tell you why. It's like Jesus does something miraculous, and nobody seems to notice. Like a blind dude can all of a sudden see, or a person who can't walk, and all of a sudden, like, they're able to walk. And no one seems to notice a miracle takes place. They're just like, oh, that shouldn't have happened on Sunday. Mm Mm-mm, that was bad. I'm like, uh, okay, let's say it is bad, but did you notice that they can walk? Did you notice that they can see? Did you notice they no longer have leprosy? The reason is this. Often the miraculous will get overlooked when religious people are guarding their rules. They have lost control, and their God in a box had escaped, and it made them mad. Let me show you one example. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who'd been crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years, was unable to stand up straight. My visual of this, I think she was kind of doing this for 18 years. Do y'all agree with me? That's kind of what she's doing. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, dear woman, I love the fact he said, dear woman, there's a term of endearment here. It's important. You are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her. And instantly she could stand straight how she praised God. And I'll bet she did. You know what gets me about this? We have nowhere in the passage where it says the woman came to follow Jesus and started obeying all the rules. 
We don't even know if she followed Jesus. All we know is when Jesus made her whole, she went from this to this. It caused her to praise God. And that makes sense to me. You, leader of the synagogue, didn't like it. He saw the miraculous take place. The woman who's bent over for 18 years is now fully standing. And he was angry. Do you know what he was angry about? A rule had been broken. He turned and he yelled at the crowd. This is actually in scripture. Look it up for yourself. Come on, non-Sabbath days to be healed. Doggone it. I don't know if he added the last part, but that's what he was saying. Don't come on Sabbath days to be healed. We only heal on, no, you don't. You don't ever heal because you're full of rule. It made Jesus mad. He said, here, hold my Pepsi. <laughs> and the religious people on the inside are keeping non-religious people on the outside. And Jesus pops the top. He says, you hypocrites. And this is like, this is, you don't want to be called that. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? You know what he's saying? You cannot earn your way into this. You can never be good enough. You can't. You cannot put a fish on your car and make yourself one. You're never going to be good enough. Then he says, this dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage. Look at that term. Hey, you know anybody held in bondage? They'll never be good enough. The ones that don't fit your rubric or my rubric for what it means. The ones that are almost paradoxical to what you think it means to follow Jesus. They're held in bondage, and this woman was by Satan for 18 years. They're not held in bondage because they're just a fool. They're in bondage because of what Satan is doing in their heart and lives. And isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? And this shamed his enemies. But guess what? Everybody else dug it. <laughs> Everybody else said, oh, that kind of Jesus I could follow. That kind of Jesus I'd give my life to. Religious people hated Jesus, but outsiders loved him. I was thinking about the tabernacle structure again because I have no life. And I, and I, was, I was thinking, see, see if this works for you. And this is the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies, if you're familiar, actually represented the entire Trinity there. They had the Ten Commandments, you know, and they had Aaron's rod, and then they had like a, uh, the, the altar of the covenant, and then we had a representation of the Holy Spirit, the incense, and the Son, and God the Father. So what this means is, in my mind, Jesus had been in and knew the Holy of Holies. This wasn't a place he wasn't aware of. Jesus actually knew what it was to be where God resided because he was indeed God. He knew the inner workings. But notice the entire direction of Jesus' life. What was Jesus doing? What was the direction of his life when he'd hang out with tax collectors or, or prostitutes or people considered unclean because of a race or because of a disease? What was he saying with the direction of his life? Because religious people were trying to keep God all boxed up and God was making it very clear, I'm a coming out. You can't keep me in a box. And you know what? He proved it. 
Jesus was crucified on a cross, do you remember where? Outside the city. Where all criminals die. Crucified cross. Crucified body on a cross. If you allow me to play on words, Jesus actually became an outsider so we could become insiders. That's the story of salvation. That's the story of hope and mercy. Respectfully, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, that is your story. You were an outsider. And God came and got you. (laughs) Come on. That should make us happy. It's the story of a life. And why we gather in a place like this, as jacked up as we all are. Make no mistake, if you're just visiting, we haven't always looked this good. There's plenty of times in our lives where we wouldn't want you to see us, right? There are times in our lives where we didn't belong in a place like this, at least as we thought. But now we're able to proclaim God's favor and blessing on our lives. Writer of Hebrews would say it this way. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day. Watch this next part because it's going to mess you up if you're into law. Offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. You can act like you're a Christian all you want, but that's not going to do jack for your sin. You can act a certain way. You can sing the songs. You can even read the scripture if you want. But do not believe for a moment that your following of a law is taking away your sin because the writer of Hebrews says it doesn't work that way. What are we going to do, Tom? What does work? Our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for Tom's sin. Good for all time. It's like the ultimate vaccine. (laughs) It's always going to be good. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Let me tell you what this is doing to me. I think I'm in my role in life, a calling God has placed in my life, the responsibilities. I've been asking myself if I'm an insider trying to keep out the outsider. Because if I'm not careful, there are people or groups of people that I would rather keep out. Maybe in a less offensive way. As an insider, who's on your list of outsiders? as a church, as individuals, if we're going to become like Jesus, it'll mean more than just modeling Jesus in life. It'll mean we model Jesus in sacrifice. And I know I'm speaking to the modern church, and sacrifice does not sell well in 2021. You know what sacrifice means? It means that we give up something we love for something we love even more. What that means is Jesus somehow 
loved you more than he loved his own life. How special are you? How amazing are you? Jesus said, I'd rather die as an outsider if it means he, she can be an insider. Jesus was being pushed on the crowd by every side, not just in death, but also in life. He was trying to get somewhere, but everybody was keeping him from getting to where he needed to go. And the disciples are trying to fend the crowd. Why is the crowd after him? The crowd's after him because he just made that woman walk up straight and she'd been bent over 18. They'd heard that he'd healed blind people. So they're pushing on him. Jesus, touch me. Jesus, do something for me. And he's trying to get through this crowd. But one woman touches him and she's a woman who'd been struggling with bleeding for years. And Jesus felt something different in that touch. How it worked, I have no idea but he was trying to get somewhere and this woman touched the hem of his garment and she was healed and Jesus stopped whatever he was doing wherever he was going and he turned and he took, looked the woman in the face and he said daughter your faith has made you well go in peace Jesus' sacrifice gave her time I got an agenda I got places to go I got a calendar I got to meet and Jesus stops oh dear woman You've been ill. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. He was going to Jericho. And there was this despised tax collector named Zacchaeus. He was the Danny DeVito of scripture. (laughs) He climbed a tree to see Jesus. He was interested in the spectacle. Nobody wanted to be with Zacchaeus. Because he was the tax collector. Jesus is there and all these people are worshiping and would love to be with him and love to spend time. Where does Jesus stop? He stops under the sycamore tree and talks to Zacchaeus. He said, today I'm going to your house and I want to share a meal with you. Jesus' sacrifice offered him friendship. He didn't say, I want you to come out and start acting better. I want you to behave better. He said, no, I'm offering you friendship. If you read the rest of the story, you'll find that Zacchaeus knew exactly what he needed to do, and he did. But what Jesus offered him was friendship. This woman, she was caught in the most embarrassing situations. She was brought before Jesus, clothed in shame and little else. She was judged and condemned by her entire community, and most likely, I would bet, judge and condemned even by herself. The insiders, the rule keepers, wanted her punished, but Jesus' sacrifice gave her acceptance and freedom from condemnation. Someone say amen. Ten lepers came to Jesus to be healed. They were called the unclean. Sometimes they had bells tied around them so everyone would know if they came into town. There was no hope for them. They were going to be deformed and they were all going to die. They could only hang out with each other. If they ever went to market, everybody started hollering, unclean, unclean, no names, no mom and dad, no history, understanding, just unclean. They're just filthy people and hide the kids and the women and and the men stay away and all this would happen. Not Jesus. He walks up to them and he touches them. They were despised, ostracized, and ridiculed and serving this life sentence of isolation and defined as unclean. And Jesus touches them and he heals them all. 
Jesus' sacrifice gave them joy. And story after story of Jesus inviting those outside, inside. And you know what that means for alive if you call this part of your faith journey, your home? You know what it means for us as individuals? In this very moment, we can not only receive the sacrifice of Jesus, but we can actually become the sacrifice of Jesus to a world in desperate need. I could never. Yes, you can. You're not that busy and not that important that you cannot give someone your time or your friendship or your acceptance or joy. If we ever get too busy for that, God help us. Listen, alive, let us never be guilty of keeping spiritually hungry people outside because of a set of laws. May God shut our doors if we fall more in love with our obedience than with our Lord. Sacrifices aren't that complicated. They're part of our daily routine. When? When you love something more. When I love something more, when what keeps me awake at night, when the stirring of my soul is that someone would bend the knee, someone outside would become inside, when a church, maybe just God would put a whole community of people in a community that has 96,000 people that are facing a crisis eternity on our watch. God help us if we ever lose that focus. Shut the doors. We should hang it up. I'm not saying you got to go start preaching on the street corner. I wouldn't recommend it unless you're really good. Then give it a whirl. But I wouldn't recommend it. Don't wear an alive shirt. But I mean, nonetheless, if... <laughs> why don't we just give a rip? Let's give a rip for people facing a Christless eternity. Tom, that won't make no that won't make no difference. Sorry. Tom, that will not make a difference. You ever read the story of Dr. Jerome Motto? I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He uh, worked tirelessly to get a suicide barrier put up on the Golden State Bridge. Uh, Golden Gate Bridge. And um at one time, the Golden Gate Bridge had a suicide jump about every two weeks. I don't know what the modern numbers are, but that's kind of, at one time, that's what it was. People so discouraged and no hope. And they kept trying to get legislation passed. And after his retirement, they asked Dr. Motto about what was his motivation. And he shared about a patient of his who had jumped in the 60s and that it had quite an impact on him that we needed to do something. These kids, people are so hopeless. We can't let them hurt themselves with this wonderful piece of architecture. There's a way to prevent this. He went on to say in that interview that the suicide that impacted him the most occurred in the late 70s. Dr. Motto said, I went to this guy's apartment afterward with the assistant medical examiner. The guy was in his 30s, lived alone, pretty bare apartment, and he'd written a note and he left it on his bureau, and it said this, I'm going to walk to the bridge. If one person smiles at me on the way, I won't jump. 
God has given us the 96,000. Smile. Smile. Give them your time. Give them your acceptance. Give them the joy. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the love you have poured out on us. Heavenly Father, we never want to be a group of found people who doesn't care about those who are still lost. God, you have been the thriving heartbeat. This cry to reach the 96,000 has been the heart of alive. And every once in a while, Lord, it's good to cut us open and see what we bleed. And in this moment in time, we unite our hearts together. Say, we still bleed this. We never want to be a church known for keeping the outsiders out. Lord, we have our values. We know who we are. We know where our hope lies. We believe in your scripture and it has authority here. So we need not be afraid of reaching people. So my prayer is for anyone in the room who maybe got turned off somewhere around the way because they fell into a religion of law. Hey, listen, I want to tell you, there's a whole big relationship waiting for you. Jesus desires to be your savior. That's where you begin your relationship with Jesus. It's a little bit like relating to a person, but also kind of different. You talk to Jesus through prayer. You read about his teachings in scripture and hang out with people who also follow him. And eventually Jesus becomes not just your savior. He becomes your Lord. And that's available to anybody who asks. You can do it right where you are and just ask Jesus to forgive you for your sin. You know what those are. And he will. He does. You just read that in Hebrews. For the rest of us who have been walking with God for a while, don't ever stop noticing the outsider. God, give us fresh eyes to see. Give us open hearts to receive. Give us desire to love something even more. In your name we pray. Amen.